John asked me to preach. I, I love John Eisman. I, I don't know about you, but I love him. He, every time I'm here, he says, Andrew, do you want to preach? And, <laughs> and last week I heard him preach as well, and he preached a good message. Do, do you remember it? You did? The single, in my mind, the single most powerful thing he mentioned, uh, there was a lot of things he did talk about, but in terms of practical things, remember that verse from 1 Peter 3, verse 7? It's the most terrible verse for a man. Do, do you remember it? Anybody? You've you got to live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers won't be hindered. You know the reason why there's so much powerlessness in the church today? It's because men ain't living with their wives properly. <laughs> it's an automatic cutoff. Prayers bounce off the roof and come right back to you. And God says, hey, listen with your wife properly. Live with her well. Understand her. Take care of her. Because I ain't listening to you till you listen to her. It has kept me in line with God. That single idea, trying to take care of my wife more than any other verse in the entire New Testament. It's a dreadful verse. Every time I look at my wife, I want to go, what is wrong with you, woman? I can't say it. Because that verse comes back and goes, God says, what's wrong with you, Andrew? I'm not listening. It's horrible. So John asked me to preach, and he's in the midst of a series on the elephant in the family room, and I'm a visiting missionary, and it's Mother's Day, and I'm trying to put those three or four things together. All oh, the mothers are elephants? How do I do this? <laughs> this is not good. Missionary mothers who are... No, 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 I'm not getting there. But wait a minute. Maybe mothers are the elephant in the room. But instead of a negative thing, because most of the elephants in the room are things which are negative. You know, we, we don't talk about stuff. And, and there are opportunities to start talking about it so we can get right with God and, and deal with the stuff. But maybe mothers are the elephant actually in a positive sense. They're meant to remind us of something and I'm going to suggest to you what it is, they're to remind us of uh, characteristics of God which are not so easily seen in fathers. Are you with me? So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look through the Scriptures and find three aspects of what I call the mother heart of God. Now, careful, careful. I, I don't want anybody going... Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You don't start addressing God as our mother in heaven. That's just not right. You can't do that. But there are characteristics of God which the scripture uses, God uses, to demonstrate part of his character, part of his attributes, which are more easily seen in a mother than they are in a father. Are you with me? Fathers are typically the protectors. I like to protect my family. Don't like it when people attack my family. We like to provide as men. We, we plan things. Some of us do it better than others. Some of us rely on our wives to do the planning. But our father planned our salvation. Fathers plan. They're the protagonists. See, I've got alliteration in there. That, that means they initiate stuff, you know? Or they're meant to. But the father does 
initiate things. We're typically, as men, identified more as the punishers or the disciplinarians in the family. That isn't mean to say that mothers shouldn't do that as well. They, they should. But when we look at our mothers, as the video showed us, we some, see something more intimate, something very much more connected. We all have a mother. Even when there's an absent father, there aren't many absent mothers at all. And mothers care and do things in a way which uniquely shows us our Heavenly Father's heart, God's heart, because they're intricately and intimately involved in our lives. What's the first thing which I think about when I think about mothers here on earth? I think about mothers giving birth to children. Mothers giving birth to children. And what's the picture the Bible uses? First Peter, chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's given us birth. God understands this, this messy business of, of having children. <laughs> we have two children. You know my eldest and my daughter is... They were both born C-section, and Katie was meant to be a boy, um, but she came out a girl. I mean, you know, they did the picture stuff, and, but they pulled her out and said, it's a girl, and it's a girl? <laughs> Had to change the name, and uh, we were very happy, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the, the messy stuff of giving birth, that's the picture that God uses about how you become a Christian. You went from not being a Christian because you were born as a human to being born from above. God giving you birth into this new life through the resurrection of Jesus. It's a little bit... Me Have you ever seen somebody becoming a Christian? Have you ever been involved in somebody's life and they've become a Christian? God's done something, they've responded, and you've had the privilege of being in there a little bit? It's kind of a little bit messy, isn't it? Was it nice and clean and sanitary for you? Let me tell you what, in my experience at this point, in this country and in Europe, it's messier than it ever used to be. We, we, we live in a non-Christian, postmodern, hedonistic, paganistic culture. People who become Christians, God reaching into their lives and doing something, it, it's messy. There's blood and guts and gore and... Mothers know about that. Our Heavenly Father, God the Father, knows about that. And that picture of giving birth for a, child, for a child, child of the glory, Christian, is best represented by a mother. Men, just, just as a side note, I, I don't like this phrase, which is sort of common. My wife and I are having a baby. No, you ain't. <laughs> She's having the baby. You're grunting along with her in the, what do you call those classes you have to go to these days, you know? <laughs> Lamar's classes. She's having the baby. She understands the pain. She, she knows the stuff. You don't. You're going through it with her, maybe, sort of. But God, the picture God uses in the Scripture of a person becoming a Christian is of birth. And mothers, we salute you. You understand that in the physical realm. God and picture us towards the, the spiritual realm with it as well. What's the second thing it says about this picture of birth? Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My dear children, Paul writes to the Galatians, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. A person becomes a Christian 
they respond to salvation, they respond to the message that if they trust in Jesus rather than trust in themselves, they'll have their sins forgiven, they can be right with him. Now they've got to start to live it out. And Paul uses this picture of childbirth to say that the process of seeing Christ formed in us, which is what we want, we don't want our old nature reformed, we want the image of Jesus formed. He says that picture is also painful. It's also like childbirth. I'm involved with, Paul says, and it's... Ladies, do you remember when you had children? You remember? Guys, do you remember it as well? Not in the same way you don't. And God says, the women understand. The mothers understand. That's the picture I want you to get. It's the pain of childbirth to see Christ formed in somebody become more like Jesus. They start off not being like Jesus, and they're going to start to become more like Jesus. Third image, which is used. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Have you noticed that this world is crazy? <laughs> has it been crazy before? Yeah. Has the cycle of craziness repeated itself? Do, in this country, Africa, Europe, they're having elections, a, a referendum in England, you know. Should the England remain part of the U European Union? <laughs> I mean, talk about a major referendum. I mean, it's just a million point one refugees from Syria and the Middle East landing in Europe. It's unbelievable the opportunities to witness. And at the same time, the political systems are going crazy. What, what do we do with that? There's two things going on. People becoming Christians... Syrians choosing Christ because they're welcomed in his name in Christian Europe. It's not very Christian. And at the same time, the politicians going, what have we done here? And the people going, what have we done here? The world's nuts. The pains of childbirth. Until when? Until Christ returns. Until he establishes his kingdom here on earth because he's physically present. And the picture that God uses is that process of us getting there as his church is like childbirth. Women, you understand. Mothers, you can understand in a very deep way what God is going through in terms of forming his church, forming his people, and bringing to conclusion the kingdom coming forth here on earth when Jesus returns. It's a tremendous picture. That's childbirth. Why do we love our mothers? Well, because they gave us birth, they suffered, and it pictures these wonderful things that God himself feels and is doing in us to start with, through us as we grow up, and ultimately for his church and the kingdom of God. There's a fourth one which is very painful, this picture of childbirth. It's in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, and I'm not going to read the, I'm going to read the text. Jeremiah, chapter 20, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he's meant to be speaking to God's people about some terrible things that are going to happen, and nobody wants to hear his message. He says, O oh Lord, Jeremiah says, O oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Jeremiah is saying, God, I've been faithful. I've been preparing, 
speaking your word, but all I get is ridicule and mocking and, and torturing even. He was put in prison. If I say I'll not mention him or speak of him anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. He says, I shut up, but if I just shut up and don't speak your word, God, it's torturing me inside. It's your word. I've got to do it, he says. And my friends say, let's report me. Then verse 11, he sort of turns a corner. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. My persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They'll fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them for you to how I've committed my God. Oh, God's a warrior, says Jeremiah. He's the man. He's going to come out and fight and make it all right. Hallelujah. Amen. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Can you hear a man who's tortured in his soul? This is a man who can't sing, it is well with my soul. <laughs> He's hurting. Now listen to these dreadful words as he continues. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? I don't know about you, but this, this is some of the most graphic language in the entire scripture. It describes a man who's trying to do God's work, and he is really, really, really hurting. He can't sing it as well with my soul. He hasn't got to that place. He's in the middle of struggle, and he uses the imagery of not even being born, of being died, stillborn in a womb. Some of you ladies, my wife and my daughter-in-law included, know the pain of what it means to lose a baby before they're born. It's a pain which is, I don't know, I'm not a woman. I don't know. It's such graphic language and it describes a relationship with God which the, the human, Jeremiah, using this graphic imagery of a stillborn baby to sow such agony. I, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life what you've been through. But I want to assure you that like Jeremiah and like God, he understands this stuff. You can tell him. He's not against you, uh, against you. That's Northern English, again. He's not against you. He wants to hear you tell him. He wants you to cast yourself on him. But that imagery is so powerful, friends. If you're a mother who suffered that way, Take it to the Lord. You'll know the heart of the Father, the heart of God, in a very deep way. If you're a man who's been suffering for whatever reason, burnout, stress, Jeremiah, burnout, common language, but you've got to take it to God. You've got to tell him what it is. You've got to let him walk you through with it. He will do it, and it will be painful. But you'll understand his heart, as a mother does, in a very deep way. 
Mothers give birth to their children. What else do mothers do, which is kind of unique, which demonstrates the, the heart of God in a way which fathers don't normally do? Mothers nurture their children, is my second idea here. Let's see what the scripture says. First Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I, you know, the sucking institute, sucking the sucking instinct is, is automatic. They, they take the baby and they shove it against the mother and it starts to suck. It's automatic, isn't it? They know how to do it. Incidentally, that's the sign of somebody becoming a Christian or one of the signs. A new Christian wants spiritual food. They're hungry for the stuff. They want to know what the scripture teaches. They, they want to soak it up. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? You were hungry, weren't you? You, you didn't have to be told, feed yourself. You, you just had to be shown where the stuff was and you were at it. And mothers do that. Mothers automatically feed their babies. And that's what mothers show us about what we need from our Heavenly Father. He's provided the scriptures. One of the questions a church ought to ask itself is, how are we feeding those who are new believers. In my personal life, in my discipleship growing life, how am I learning to feed those around me? Am I giving them the stuff they need so they can grow? It relates perhaps to this um, second, third idea, teaching. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 talks about Timothy and Paul writes to him and he says, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And you remember that Timothy, his mother was a believer, but his father was not when Paul was writing this to him. And Paul says of Timothy's mother that she's the one who taught him the scriptures from infancy. And one of the things you mothers and you fathers, I'm not letting you off the hook, but one of the things mothers can do for their children is teach them the scriptures in a very practical way. You can teach them to learn the scriptures. You can read them the Bible stories. You can do all those things. You can encourage that atmosphere of putting the word of God, scriptures, into your child's life from a very young age indeed. There's a fourth thing which mothers show us from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget... I will not forget you. The analogy is great, isn't it? You know, mother feeding baby. Um, mothers, do you ever feed baby and forget you were feeding baby? Nope. <laughs> you may forget you were meant to feed the baby, but once the baby is feeding, you don't really forget, do you? And God says, even though she might forget, because it's possible, I will never forget my children. They'll always be mine. They'll always belong to me. I'll always care for them. New Testament puts it this way in Philippians 1 verse 7. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He, he will do it. Perhaps some of you have got relatives, friends, who've walked away from Jesus at some point. I think we've all got those people. May 5th was the anniversary of my sister's death at age forty six last year she died a year ago 
And in the last year and a half, the year and a half before her life, she came back to Christ after leaving that when she went to university some 20-odd years previously. God had not forgotten that she belonged to him. That had been our prayer for 20-some years that God would do what was necessary to bring her back. He did. The hard way, through cancer, but she did come back to him and I retrusted as a teenage faith. God did not forget. And God never forgets us. Never. Ever, ever, ever. He can't. You're like a baby suckling at the breast. Last one, Isaiah chapter 66. For this is what the Lord says, I'll extend peace to her like a river. Talking about Israel, but I think his application of his heart. And the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse her and be carried on her arm. You will nurse, sorry, and be carried on her arm and be dandled on her knees. The thing I like about that verse is that little word dandled. When was the last time you, that's the NIV as well, you know that? What does that word mean, dandled? Well, it's sort of bounced and cuddled all at the same time is what the idea is. And God is saying that for his children, for those who belong to him, not only is there constant care, but there's also this idea of comfort for the hurt. And we know the New Testament, the Holy Spirit, is the one who comforts us. He's the great paraclesis, the one who call, is called alongside of us, the comforter. And so Paul can write in 2 Corinthians, with the same comfort that we have been comforted, we can comfort others. And it's because God... And he uses this picture of a mother caring for her children, cares for us in a very intimate and personal and unique way for each of his children. It's a marvelous little picture that's going on. So the first thing that mothers show us about our father, about God, which is pretty unique, is that he gives birth. There's pictures of which birthing involves which are hard to understand. The second thing is this idea of nurturing children. God nurtures us, us. We as a church family need to nurture those who are young in the faith and those who are growing in the faith and those who are grown up in the faith and those who are, the Bible says, the old men in the faith as well. There's a third thing as well. Why do we love our mothers? We love our mothers because they are part of the mystery of marriage which is the other thing. Uh, you know, a great thing happened to me when I was 22. I, I got married. It was a pretty, pretty good day, you know? My wife's at the back. And, uh, you know, pretty soon after that, and I'm, I'm a basic selfish male, so you'll forgive me, you know? Happy Mother's Day, Marsh. Thanks for making me into a father. <laughs> Seriously. Greatest thing that happened after being married is I got children, and she gave me the children. It's incredible. I've got a slide here. A picture. Do you have a picture slide up there? <laughs> Isn't that great? That's Tim. Can you believe it? <laughs> he gave me permission. That's Katie. She didn't. <laughs> She's going to be here probably in a couple of weeks' time, so don't... <laughs> And then they grew up, and they got bigger, and they went. They actually started to like each other at some point, and and then, and they still do. You know, it's it's really cool. You know, 
uh, the mystery of marriage mothers are. They make, you know, and, and, then, and then wonder of wonders, my son managed to get this wonderful lady, <laughs> and now I have a grandson. And the marriage and the mother has made the cycle keep going. And there's another generation of berries. There's my father, there's me, and my brother, and then there's my son, and now there's a gr- and there's another generation, and the cycle's continuing, and mothers make all that happen. It's possible. That's one of the reasons why we love our mothers, right? But, but God uses this same picture of marriage and mothers to describe this cycle in the Christian life as well. You see, if we don't, produce the next generation. And they have the opportunity to produce the generation after us. Guess what? No more church. No more church. No more Christians. The cycle gets broken. If mothers don't have children, there's no more next generation. Same in the church. And so we love our mothers because they're part of the mystery of marriage at a very human level, but they picture for us in a very divine level, what God is doing. This is God's picture, isn't it? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and then 3, verse 20. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. He leaves one part of the old generation because starts a new family, and they become one flesh. It's not that man and a woman lose their own identity. They keep their identities, and they make a third new thing different than their parents, And then that will be different in the one generation afterwards as well. And which is why Adam says in Genesis chapter 3, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. So that generation continues down through the generations. Paul repeats it in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave unto his wife and they'll become one flesh, creating something new. So the cycle... The generation can keep going on. And mothers have an intricate part in that. And God's heart is the mother heart of God to reproduce a living generation, spiritually living, not just physical living as well. One of the hardest verses, and I'm not going to explain it, I'm going to show it to you, 1 Timothy 2 verse 15. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And and whatever the verse means in its detail, I think it does have this idea in it that childbearing produces the next generation and humanity keeps on going. And we as Christians... If we keep being involved with God and he reproduces through us spiritual life, it keeps on going and there'll be a church for tomorrow when you and I are dead and buried and with the Lord in glory. Last verse, Galatians 4 verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. You have an earthly mother. My mother's name is Ursula, which means bear in German or bearess, she's fierce, (laughs) and yes, she prayed for me, and I came back to Christ as a 20-year-old, after running a long ways away, why we love our mothers, next generation coming down, Paul is in the middle of an argument, discussion, sorry, not argument, he's in the middle of a, 
um, a, a, a thesis of, of why we shouldn't be legalistic and why we should be spirit-led. And he contrasts this idea of spirit-led with the idea of legalism. You don't live the Christian life by following the rules. You live the Christian life by allowing God, the Holy Spirit, inside of you to empower you, to lead you. It'll never contradict what the Scripture says but that's what he wants for us. And he says, that's because your mother is the heavenly Jerusalem, freedom, not slavery. Because legalism always leads to slavery. Whereas the Jerusalem from above is freedom and freedom in Christ. Our spiritual mother is free in Christ. Where does that leave us? I hope it leaves you saying two things. I hope it leaves you saying, thank you, God, for my mum. I hope it also leaves you saying, wow, God, you really do care. You really are intricately involved in my life in all kinds of different ways. We don't have a God who's an angry old man. We have a God who's compassionate, loving, providing, protector, all those things. And some of those things are best shown in our mothers to us as human beings. But men, don't, don't be afraid of that. I'm not asking you to be a womanly man. I'm asking you to be a godly man. A godly man. There's one last thing we ought to ask ourselves is, how can we be in the family of Jesus? I think I've got the scriptures coming up. Jesus was still talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to stop there, wanting to speak to him. Jesus had, was born of a Virgin Mary, had a human father who was not his physical father because God the Holy Spirit came over that woman. He was unique in that sense, he was fully human and fully divine. But after that, his earthly adopted father, or adoptive father, Joseph, and his mother, obviously had sexual relations, and they had other children because he had mother and brothers and actually some sisters as well. The language in the scripture is very clear. He had a set of half-family. He had other half-siblings as well. And they wanted to come and talk to him. And so Jesus, of course, said, yes, straight away, I'll be out to see them. Wrong. Listen what Jesus said. Someone told him, your mother and brothers standing outside wanted to speak to you. Jesus said to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Here are my mother and my brothers. They were disciples. You know, you can belong to the family of Jesus. And maybe somebody's never made it this clear to you before. But as a human, you're born into the family of humanity. The family of Adam, if you will. We all get a human nature. And what God wants us to do is to be born again, or born anew, or born from above. And he put new life into us by his spirit, the Holy Spirit. That's the seed of new life, if you will. So you're born one way, you have a human mother but God wants you to be born from above so you have a divine nature as well. 
Yeah, that divine nature, you can then live for eternity with him. He wants you to look at yourself and go, I'm a human. I can do nothing but sin. I do everything wrong. I don't please God. I don't do the things I should. I've always got something against me. My relationships are messed up. And he says, you know, when you look at Jesus and you trust him, and this is what Jesus said in John 6, what does God want? God wants you to trust him whom he sent. That's Jesus. What do you have to do? You have to trust Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. And what Jesus did at the cross was he bore your penalty of sin. We sang that song. I'm in awe of you. The, the ground in front of the cross, anybody can get there and they can bow the knee and his shed blood pays the penalty for the wrong things you've done. And when you trust what he's done, not what you can do, you can do a whole lot of things. You can try and do good works. You can try and be a nice person, but they're not good enough to cover up all the stuff which you didn't do well. And you trust him and you say, Lord Jesus, I've done something wrong. I've done a lot of things wrong. By my human nature, I can do nothing right, actually. And I need you to forgive me because of what you did on the cross. And I need you to come into my life and change me from the inside out. That's trusting Jesus. That's when you become part of his family as well as still part of your human family. I think that's good news. I think that's really good news. I want to tell you as somebody who did that a long time ago. And then when I came back to Christ 30-odd years ago, it's been worth every moment, even in the times when I felt like Jeremiah did, <laughs> when it's been dark, because I knew at the very base there was a heavenly God who cares for me. It's going to see me through this life. If you've never done that, talk to one of the elders in the church Say, I want to trust Jesus. I, I know who I am. I've looked in the mirror and it's not pretty. I, I need him to do something because I'm tired of trying to do it myself. And trust him. And trust him. The band is going to come up. We're going to sing a song to close which kind of puts that together for us, that thought. And um, don't, don't leave here if you've not done that. Don't leave here saying, I'm still outside of Jesus' family. So I want to do it now.